feel like I've uh, probably known that hymn my, my whole life. Uh, it was a favorite for Sunday evening worship, and uh, along with Victory in Jesus and When We All Get to Heaven, uh, those were some of the, the favorite songs we sang. And, and I can uh, hear my grandmother playing the piano, and I can hear my mom and my aunts uh, singing and, and singing harmony through that song. I can see my dad leading a song. It, it is part of my soul, this song, To God Be the Glory, a song of thanksgiving and rejoicing, a, a song of praise, a song of hope, a song of remembering, a, a song that is timeless and also very timely. You know, in this world where the temptation is for us to take credit for all of the good things that happen in the, in the world and blame God for all of the bad things that happen in the world, it's good to remember the pure gift of God's love for us that weaves its way into every part of our lives, the good and the bad, and, and holds all of the pieces somehow together in the fullness of life. In this world where uh, sometimes things are, are a little uh, rocky for us and we face challenges and heartache and disappointment, it, it's easy enough for us to forget the gift of salvation, that wholeness, the life that God gives to us that allows us to live with confidence in who we are in Christ, that, that our identity Our whole identity is in Christ, and we are secure in God's kingdom and in God's family. In this world where the news is often bad and and discouraging, it's easy enough for us to forget that we have a hope that is greater than what we can see only in our immediate space around us. No matter what happens in our lives, we have access to this hope and We can land on who we are in Christ, and we can believe and trust the promises of God that are made evident to us and the gift of God's love for us. We're made in the image of God. We're created in the image of God, and we are intended to worship God, to glorify God with our lives, with our whole being, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls, our our spirits. That's, That's how we're created. We're invited No matter what life looks like for us, we're invited to focus our whole being on God, to give God the glory for our very lives. And so I wonder tonight as we walk through this hymn a little bit, uh, on the spectrum of the fullness of life, is there somewhere God might be inviting you to simply say, to God be the glory? Is there some space in your life where you need to remember the hope that is yours and and the love of God that is yours and the salvation, the wholeness that is yours in Christ? Where might that be for you tonight where God's simply inviting you to say to God be the glory? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that tonight you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us, that we would be renewed by your spirit. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Originally titled Praise for Redemption, To God Be the Glory, was written in the the early 1870s by this woman, Fanny Crosby. 
written in the early 1870s. But it did not become a popular hymn here in the United States until the 1950s. It was basically unknown here, but it was very popular in England in the 1870s with the revivals of, uh, of D.L. Moody and his song leader, Ira Sankey. It has never lost its popularity in, in England, and the reason that it became popular here is because a man named Billy Graham was doing a, a revival in England and heard To God Be the Glory. And they brought it back to the United States. It became part of the Billy Graham Crusades music. In fact, it was sung, the last song at, at Billy Graham's funeral was To God Be the Glory. This was, this was where it came from. So she wrote it, Fanny Crosby wrote it in 1872, 1873, but it was basically lost to us in the United States until the mid-1950s. Fanny Crosby is known as the most prolific American hymn writer, sacred music writer of the 19th century. By the end of her life, she had written almost 9,000 hymns. And she wrote those using almost 200 pseudonyms. Because publishers then, and even now to some extent, were reluctant to publish too many hymns from one person in their hymnals. So she had to write hymns and have them published with pseudonyms. But almost 9,000 hymns before the end of her life. Other hymns that she wrote, Blessed Assurance, which we were going to sing at the end of the service, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, and Rescue the Perishing. Uh, the Crosby, she'll always be known for her hymns. That's how we in the, in the church world know her. Her, her um, preference would be to be known and remembered as one who worked for the poor, who served the poor, who worked as a, a rescue mission worker. That was her heart's desire, and that's what made her, her heart sing. In fact, she and her, her husband made enough money to live comfortably, but she insisted on keeping only what they needed for daily essentials, which meant that they lived very poorly so that others could have. She lived her life giving herself to others. Her, her life's work is remarkable on its own, but perhaps even more remarkable because she's blind. She was likely born blind, although there's some discrepancy. She may have had sight for about six weeks, but either way, born or losing sight at six weeks, she would not re have remembered being able to see anything. Her whole life was spent in blindness. Her father died when she was six months old, and she was raised by her mother and her grandmother in a home that was, had very strong Christian principles as their a foundation as how they lived. From the age of 10 on, she began memorizing five chapters of Scripture every week. Can you imagine if we asked the confirmants to do that? <laughs> Nobody would ever get confirmed, probably, right? Five chapters of Scripture every week. And so by the time she was 15, she had memorized all four Gospels, the first five books of the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, the Song of, of uh, Solomon, and many of the Psalms. It was, and you can tell when you look at her hymns and her writings, it is just something that was in her for her to write about. It, it was her very being uh, and, and God at work in her that came to life in the words that she wrote. 
in those 9,000 hymns. She also wrote uh, over 1,000 poems, uh, many of which were published. Uh, she co-wrote other music, secular music, political and patriotic music, and wrote five uh, different cantatas. Uh, she worked really hard using this gift that God had given to her. She got married in 1858, and then in 1859, she and her husband had a daughter who lived only a few weeks. And so she experienced the loss of, of a child. And though she and her husband remained married, uh, they eventually separated and kind of lived their own lives, but, but came together for, for work and, and remained good friends. Uh, they just never quite recovered from the death of their daughter. When she was 60 years old, Crosby made a new commitment to Christ to serve the poor. And she devoted really the rest of her life, uh, the next three decades, to living as uh, minimally as she could so that she could serve others, in particular those who were homeless, those who were hungry, those who uh, simply needed help. She devoted her whole life to helping others. Uh, she left money in her will for what would become the Fanny Crosby Memorial Home for the Aged, which opened on November 1st, 1925, and operated until 1996, when it was given to the Bridgeport, Connecticut, the rescue mission. Her life, her life of faith, was lived in her and through her. In her blindness, she saw more clearly than most this is one of the things she said later in life. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. I wonder how many of us could say that about anything in our lives that we might feel makes us different or that limits us or that is a challenge for us, would we be able to say that even if, if God took that away or offered to, to heal that or, or to make me like everyone else, would we take it? There's something about her life and living it fully as she was that I think lends an authenticity to her hymns and to her mission, to the way that she lived her lives. She accepted who God created her to be and allowed God to work in her and through her to God be the glory. At 52 is when she wrote to God be the glory. She had experienced a lot of life by then and she could have been bitter about her blindness, about her father dying when she was an infant about um, the, the publishing industry then for hymns. Uh, really, there's a, um, there was a lot of inequity. Uh, she was a woman writing hymns uh, and didn't always get fairly compensated for the work that she did. It wasn't her fight, though. She really offered what she had to the glory of God and trusted God to use that to make a difference in the world. She could have been uh, bitter about her marriage not being what, what maybe she had dreamed it would be, or bitter about the plight of the poor and the homeless, bitter about all the things that, God, uh, that, that had happened to her, not that God had done to her, but that had happened in the course of her life. 
And yet she writes, to God be the glory. To God be the glory, great things he hath done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. When you know her life, it adds even greater weight to the words of the hymns. You can see in this hymn in particular, but all of her hymns, uh, uh, the scripture that was so embedded in her that came out in, in the words, it, it's a, a hymn that reminds us of God's love for us and of God's promises for us. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. From 1 John and he, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That salvation that's offered to us in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And from the Gospel of John, so again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. You hear that in, in the first verse. I am the, the life gate. He opened the life gate that all might go in. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to st steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. No matter what's happening in the world around us, this is still why Jesus came to make us reconciled with God and to give us life. Not just eternal life, but abundant life. Open the life gate that all may go in. The third verse, great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see this idea that we're created to, to praise and worship God is woven throughout Scripture, uh, perhaps nowhere more so than in the Psalms. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoice. This is in the Psalms. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent, a, a series of Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134, that the, the people would sing as they went to Jerusalem for the, the feasts of the year, for uh, Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they would sing these scriptures as songs, going to the feast to remember God's promises, to celebrate God's faithfulness, to remember how God had provided for them. There's something about offering praise and thanksgiving to God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of uncertainty that reorients you to your position as God's beloved. There's something about fixing your eyes on Jesus when all the rest of the world is clamoring for your attention. Fixing your eyes on the one who gave his life so that we might have life. And sometimes that's the very hardest thing to do in the midst of struggles, in the midst of trial, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of disappointment. Sometimes the last thing you think to do or the last thing you want to do 
is to praise God. And yet, and yet, when you can praise God and give thanks to God, you remember that you're not alone. You remember that God is faithful. You remember that God's love, there's a wideness in God's mercy. There's a a wideness and a depth of God's love that holds you securely in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through and carries you. That The song that that Nick was singing, the the hope that, that carries us home, right? In Revelation 7, John's vision for heavenly worship, and all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the the ones, this eternity that were promised in heaven, in in the very fullness of God's glory, when we are offering praise and and thanksgiving and, and worship. We receive this gift of salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It's a gift that we have to receive. And trust that the promises of God are true. Fanny Crosby lived her her whole life not being able to see the world, but realizing as she wrote her hymns and as she served the poor, the gift of what God was doing in her and through her and, and was able to give thanks even for that blindness. And then she said, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. She was able to put into perspective that though in this world she could see nothing, the very first thing she would see with her eyes would be Jesus. And that allowed her to be encouraged. It gladdened her heart to know that one day she would see. One day all would be well. There would be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more dying, no more tears. One day... We see Jesus face to face. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. The perspective that that she brings to us, sometimes in the middle of difficult circumstances, it's hard to keep perspective. Sometimes it's hard to rest in the truth of our salvation and God's love for us. Sometimes it's hard to praise God, but it is our call and our invitation because our place in God's kingdom is secure. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are beloved children of God. We are made to glorify God. I have a friend who lives in Oklahoma. Her name is Marty, and uh, she and her husband and uh, their two children were like a second family to my family when we lived in Houston uh, many years ago, and we've stayed in touch over the years, and her daughter and I are very good friends still, and uh, Marty is the epitome of health. Uh, physically, she uh, eats all the right things. She walks all the time. She uh, is very conscious of, of taking care of herself physically. Spiritually, she is a, a prayer warrior and engages regularly in spiritual practices of, of, of prayer and scripture reading and, and worship and, and serving 
Uh, emotionally, she is also the epitome of health. She's had a lot of things happen over the course of her lifetime, and she has been intentional in working through those things to, to get to a place of, of healing and wholeness. She's the epitome of health, and so we were all surprised in September uh, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And after the initial kind of shock and, and all of the questions that come with that and the, the um, just sort of the, the blow to, to the community that is, that is her family, she pretty quickly said, God will be glorified in this. The rest of us were kind of belly aching and whining and not very happy about the circumstances for her, but she said, God will be glorified in this. And she told us that pretty quickly after uh, being diagnosed, in part of her quiet time, in part of her scripture reading, in part of her prayer time, God made it clear to her that she was going to be able to share God's love with people she wouldn't otherwise encounter. Now, she's not happy about having breast cancer, but she's choosing to God be the glory. So she went in for surgery, and it turns out that the lump was bigger than they thought it was going to be, and then they found the cancer in her lymph nodes, and they took what they thought they needed and declared that it was all clear, and she was going to need some radiation that was going to be fine, and then it comes back, and well, actually, it's in more of the lymph nodes, and so we've got to do more surgery, and now we're going to have to do chemo as well. It seemed like every couple of weeks uh, with, with the new doctor's visit, there was more that was uncovered, and uh, you know, Marty would say she was, uh, while she was a little bit uh, surprised and disappointed at, at every turn there was something new, she said, God was never caught off guard by what was happening in me and around me and, and to me. It, it was unfolding one appointment at a time. And so she continued to say, God will be glorified even in this. God will be glorified. God will be glorified. Marty lives in a space in which she's absolutely confident in her place in God's kingdom. She's absolutely sure that she is a beloved daughter of God. She's absolutely sure that God has not walked away from her or abandoned her, that God has not caused this to happen. But she's absolutely sure that she's willing for God to be glorified in her circumstances. One of, the th one of her favorite sayings is, I'm going to hang my hat on Jesus every time. And she is. Every day, hanging her hat on Jesus, glorifying God through it all. She's not denying the feelings or the struggles or the challenges, but she's putting it all in a context of God's complete and perfect love for her. I wonder what your story is today. Are there great things happening in your life that you would like to take credit for, but, but really probably to God be the glory for those great things? Are there terrible things happening in your life? And really what you'd like to do is blame God for how terrible things are when, in fact, God is standing right with you, not the cause of any of those terrible things, but present with you in the midst of them. Is there a decision that you're facing? Is there something that you're struggling with, a heartache or a disappointment? Uh, difficult things in which God has sustained you in the past and you're really just trusting God to sustain you right now in the present? 
Is there something that, that you're, you're facing that really the last thing you want to do is praise God, and, and yet maybe tonight you're hearing that that's the invitation to praise God and to give God the glory? There's a difference, I think, in, in praising God for terrible circumstances and praising God in terrible circumstances. You don't have to deny what's happening around you, but the invitation is to fix your eyes on Jesus and, and to say to God be the glory. Where is God inviting you into a posture of praise and thanksgiving even in the midst of the struggles? Where is God inviting you to say thanks be to God and to God be the glory? When you consider the woman who wrote the hymn, the woman who never saw anything except with her heart, the woman who served tirelessly the poor and the homeless, who gave herself away to honor and glorify God, when you consider that she's the one that wrote the words to that hymn and to almost 9,000 others giving voice to the promises and the faithfulness and the love of God, Maybe you can join her in lifting your voice in the midst of wherever you are. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Lord, you know us so well. You know our heartache and our struggle. You know our disappointment. You know how difficult it is for us sometimes to keep our eyes focused on you. You know what the world around us uh, tempts us to do, that, that we so want to take credit for all the great things and we really kind of want to blame you for all the bad things. And yet you remain with us in the good and the bad, embracing us with your love and your mercy and inviting us to, to have a different kind of posture in our hearts and our minds and our spirits, one, a posture of, of, of praise and thanksgiving to give you the glory that our whole life how we live, what we say, how we interact with one another, what we think, our whole lives, our whole beings, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and our souls would be in tune with your presence with us so that we really can say confidently and clearly to God be the glory. Show us this week as we go through uh, the world around us Show us where you are inviting us to offer you praise and thanksgiving, even when it's the last thing we want to do, and then give us courage to do so. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.